Welcome to the Alien Beer Podcast. My name is Chrissy Garrison. I'm an independent science fiction and fantasy author, and I will be reading my stories to you. On the run, when Jules is asked for help by a prisoner of the Delta Arch Authority, they can't say no, and the two set out against the odds to make an escape. Can Jules help the prisoner escape without becoming a prisoner themselves? I've been teasing for a few weeks about giving you a look at what the alien diva Hope looks like. Well, wait no longer. I have posted my artist friend Kirsten Jacobus's beautiful rendition of her on the Multiverse Blues page on my website. Just visit sillyhatbooks.com slash TMB and click on the picture to expand it. Ten years in the making, Mean Spirit, the last book in my Tipsy Fairy Tales trilogy, is now available on Amazon.com. The trilogy tells the story of gamer girl Sky, who has one foot in the fairy realm, except they don't like being called fairies. See more about Sky and the Tipsy Fairy Tales on my website, sillyhatbooks.com, under the Fiction tab. Last time on the Multiverse Blues. Jules set out to follow their doppelganger's directions using pre-programmed specs. Along the way, they run into Delta Earth's version of their fiancé, Samantha, and get a glimpse into their double's life in this verse. After some delays and tricky situations, Jules finds the secret their twin wanted them to find, a captive Tristellian-like hope named Coral. The Multiverse Blues, Chapter 13, Sweet Home Chicago I stared at the humanoid cetacean in the tank, too stunned to do anything. Now that I looked closer, gauzy dead tissue wreathed the poor creature's skin from nose to tail. Compared with hope, Coral appeared gaunt and withered, sickly. I didn't know what to say, so I blurted out, Help you? Are you hurt? The Australian repeated the high-pitched whistle of distress, and my specs dutifully translated, Help me. A virtual button appeared before me. Translate? Yes? Slash no? I clicked the yes and said, How can I help you? An external speaker on my specs let out a burst of clicks and squeals, to which Coral responded similarly. Set me free! I examined my options. I couldn't just leave this being, this person, in this tiny prison. I found latches along the sides of the tank and began undoing them one at a time. Who did this to you? The specs read me Coral's reply. You did. The jewels from here. I stopped and stared Coral in the eyes. How do you know I'm not from here? Coral squeaked and clicked. No time to tell. I can feel the difference. You vibrate differently than this world. You don't belong here. I do not either. I continued undoing the latches, keeping one eye on the attached computer equipment for signs that might tell me whether it might sound an alarm. Why did the other me put you in there? Coral replied. To keep the arch connected. What? I don't get what you mean. I undid the last latch and pushed upward on handles on the top half of the cylinder. With a bit of effort, it swung open like a clamshell. The stink of rot and seawater rolled out, overpowering my senses. I couldn't help but let out a groan at the stench. A slimy, mitten-like hand grasped my forearm and kept me from backing away. I fought my instinct to strike at the creature to free myself, as I realized Coral needed my help to get out of the tank. Coral thrashed in the half-cylinder and made strangled gargling noises. 
The specs failed to translate anything but help. I grasped Coral's slick arm with my other hand and helped hoist them out of the tank. It was a struggle between disgusting slime covering their body and their weakened condition, but after a short while we sat upon swampy puddles on the floor. Thank you, said Coral, breathing hard. They pulled at the bands, still connected to wires, freeing themselves from the electronics. Red indicator lights winked on one after another on the nearby console. Sure. I'm not sure where we go from here, though. You're pretty conspicuous. What did you mean about the arch? Coral looked at me and said, Without one of us, the arch cannot maintain its path. It is my mind that has kept this pathway open. A red envelope flashed in the corner of my augmented vision. The specs told me I had an incoming message. I think we're in trouble. Seems like the locals know you're not hooked up anymore. Coral nodded and let out a sad whistle. Certainly, my unwilling service will be missed immediately. I leapt to my feet and began to search the little lab room. I threw a lab coat at Coral. Get dressed. We have to move. In a locker bearing my name that opened to my touch, I found a pair of non-functioning specks, some paper money in a clip, an opaque yellow scarf, and galoshes. The latter were a terrible fit for Coral, but we managed to stuff their webbed feet instead. Specks covered alien eyes, scarf wrapped around their head, and hid their cetacean muzzle. After I admonished them to keep their tail under the long lab coat, they almost passed for an awkwardly shaped human. I'm sorry to have to say this, but there's nothing I can do to hide your smell. They kept you in terrible conditions. Inhuman, said Coral. Agreed. I can't believe any version of myself could do this, I said, setting a route on my Specs map back to the hotel and the tour bus. Jules was kindest. After time, they treated me as a person, a person who is a prisoner, but a person. They sent you, yes? I nodded. They said they wanted me to see something for myself and sent me here. Then this is their doing, as are these coverings. I am thankful. Let us go while we can. I held Coral back with one hand while I opened the door and looked out into the hallway. No red alert lights, no honking klaxons. Just a few other people walking with purpose up and down the long corridor. The yellow line in my specs led backwards toward the elevators. We didn't dare take that route. I felt sure others would be on their way from that direction by now. I pulled Coral out into the corridor and shut the door behind us. Try to keep your distance from other people. We don't need anyone to examine you up close. Coral nodded. We got some funny looks from the people we passed, likely due to Coral's aroma of abuse. My stomach tightened, hoping no one would stop us. I urged Coral to walk faster, but the mismatch between the shape of their feet and the oversized galoshes forced them to maintain a ponderous gait. All the while, the path to safety pointed behind us. The thrumming of the arch generators grew ever louder as we progressed. We reached a T-intersection with a set of escalators on either side. A sign told me that one led to the generators, the other to the arch plaza. Coral bowed their head and clutched it in their hands. The arch field is right above us. I cannot bear to stay here, Jules. A woman stopped in her tracks at the sound of Coral's whistles and clicks. She lifted her specks and looked directly at us. She wrinkled her nose and said, 
Did you fall into the lake or something? I had to think fast. I pulled off my own specs and took two steps toward her and glared. That's pretty rude. My friend is one of the leading marine biologists at Shed. She took a step back and waved her specs around as though to erase what she'd said. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll get out of your way. I escorted Coral around her and up the Arch Plaza escalator without another word, relieved that my bluff had worked. As our heads rose above the plaza's floor level, I almost cheered out loud as I saw something that might help us. Rain. The skies had opened up, and rain poured down the glass walls of the plaza, as though we stood underwater. The rain would mask Coral's smell, and I doubted anyone would look at us closely as they hurried through the bad weather. As we reached the top, my heart nearly stopped as I heard a voice. Going somewhere, sweet cheeks? I whirled to face my ex-boyfriend, who now wore an Arch Authority security uniform, his face grim and serious. Patrick, what? Shut up, Jules. Hand over those specs. But do it right now. I'd never heard such a fierce tone out of him before. I guessed by the uniform that this wasn't my Patrick, but the Delta version. I debated just running for it, but Coral couldn't run, and I wasn't abandoning them. I thought about bluffing him, but new Patrick was smarter than that. He had us, and there was nothing for me to do but cooperate. I handed over my specs. Patrick dropped the specs to the ground and crushed them under his boot. It was a shame your specs got damaged in the struggle before you escaped, he said, eyes unreadable behind his own VR glasses. Oh, I got the idea. Gotcha, but why? His tone softened. Go, Jules. You're not going to have much of a chance as it is. Don't stand around here talking to me. Just go as quickly as you can. I nodded and turned to grab Coral's arm guiding them out to the Arch Plaza. To my surprise, the area under the Arch still contained the rippling, mirror-like surface of the interdimensional portal. However, as we made our way out into the plaza, a Humvee-like transport drove into the portal, but was thrown back as sparks exploded from the point of contact. Coral let out a stream of whistles and clicks. I wished I still had my specs to translate, but Coral made the message clear by pointing at the gate. Then the Tristellian changed direction, and I was dragged along by their larger mass and, and determination. Wait, no, we can't, I cried, trying to divert the upright cetacean toward the plaza's bank of exit doors. I doubted they'd understand, but I continued. Didn't you see what happened? We're going to get caught, and you'll end up back in the tank. Shouts came from the other side of the arch, and I spied a group of uniformed arch authority guards rushing towards us, brandishing metal batons. Electric sparks danced on the heads of some of the batons, and I didn't want to find out what it felt like to be tased by those things. Coral doubled their efforts, and I had to let go of their arm. They kicked off the ill-fitting boots and began to move at a faster pace directly towards the shimmering wall of energy. I called after them, but Coral ignored me. Glancing behind me, the half-dozen guards closed in even faster, feet pounding on the concrete plaza floor. Other pedestrians scattered to get out of their path, yelling in confusion and, and irritation. The lead guard bellowed, Stop! Surrender the Arch Authority's property immediately, and you will not be harmed. As Coral neared the portal's surface, I caught up. I didn't dare look back, but from the sounds of running feet, the guards couldn't be more than a few seconds behind me. I grabbed Coral's shoulder and yelled, Don't do this! We'll find another way! 
Coral shook me off and made another series of clicks, whistles, and bleats, still pointing at the mirrored wall. Then the Tristellian vanished into the mirrored surface. The mirror revealed that the guards were right behind me. I had a choice, and I had only an instant to make it. Stop and be apprehended, or plunge it on ahead to wherever Coral had gone. Coral hadn't burst into sparks or bounced back, so perhaps they'd gone on to fascist ox somehow. Would going there with a fugitive alien from another world be a better fate than being caught by the Delta Arch Authority goons? Did I want to be separated from Hope's tour? I heard a shout. Then electricity crackled behind me and my left leg went numb. I decided that if Coral could go through once, they could go back through. So I held my breath and plunged into the mirrored surface. And then I fell in darkness. Or maybe I floated since I fell for an indeterminate amount of time. Maybe it was a few seconds, maybe it was a few minutes. I had no concept of where I was or how long it took, but in a way, it was as though I didn't exist. Or maybe the rest of the world didn't exist? And then I landed flat on my stomach, splayed out on a hard, smooth, cold concrete floor. The world spun crazily around me, and I fought my way back to my feet, despite only the haziest notion of which way up was, and pins and needles in my left foot and calf. People milling around me seemed not to notice me. Several vehicles stood stopped at the edge of the mirrored wall of energy behind me. Where was I? The people wore tight neons and outrageous patterns. More telling, every one of them wore specks. Am I still in Delta? Then where are the guards? Why isn't it raining outside? Where is Coral? The answers to my questions would have to wait. I hobbled my way away from the portal towards the glass wall opposite the arch and its row of doors. With every step, the hairs on the back of my neck prickled, expecting another shock from a baton, perhaps disabling me for capture this time. With every step, the pins and needles grew angrier and more pointed as feeling began to return to my foot and leg. But with every step, I drew closer to the exit doors and freedom. As I reached the middle of the plaza, I realized the signs over the exits read Lake, which was not the street I'd come in on. This is the other side of the arch. I didn't go through to another dimension. I just passed through to the other side in Delta, which meant that I'd left my pursuers on the other side of a wide wall. But this also meant that I still had pursuers, at least if they realized it. As I reached the exits, I heard raised voices arguing back in the plaza, back towards the arch. It took everything in me not to test my prickly, numb foot by breaking out into a run. If I ran, they'd see the movement and spot me for sure. I opened the door and let a man in an electric blue jumpsuit through ahead of me. He touched his specs in thanks, and I followed behind him, handing the open door off to an older woman in a stiff gray uniform. Something seemed off about the city to me, and again I questioned whether this was really Delta Earth. But the more I looked around me at the city and its people the more I convinced I became that I hadn't traveled to another verse. The door shut on the commotion going on behind me, and I still refused to look back. I decided to follow the guy in the electric blue jumpsuit until I had a better plan. He turned left, crossed the street, and then left again. I needed to change clothes and maybe get a hat to cover my blue hair. I ducked into a revolving door to get off the street and found myself inside another massive indoor complex, shops and businesses stretching off into the neon-lit distance. I spied three separate clothing stores from the entrance, and though the first two tempted me with exotic Delton styles, I slipped into an athletic wear shop. 
I traded my pretty deep purple jumpsuit for some black leggings and a baggy red sweatshirt bearing the face of an angry bull. I bought these along with a black stocking cap with another bull logo on it. I paid with some of the paper money that I'd found in the locker. I changed in the store before leaving and tossed the rolled-up jumpsuit in a trash can out in the food court. Sitting on a bench near a fountain, I stopped a while to catch my breath and figure out my next move. I had no specs and therefore only had what was left of the paper money, no identification, and no map. At the same time, I no longer had a built-in tracking device, and judging by the way I'd had to dodge out of the way of so many people in the mall, I was virtually invisible to those who turned up the opacity on their specs too high. I thought about Coral, wearing that ridiculous attempt at a disguise we'd tried to pass off, stumbling at Ox, probably to be captured by their arch authority. Why had they done that? For that matter, how long a walk would that be for them, through the non-space time between portals? We drove through in comfort inside of Hope's bus, La Esperanza. But on foot? What would that even be like? Could Coral get lost? Did they know something I didn't? Given how very little I understood about travel between verses, the latter seemed most likely. After all, the Tristellians had evidently traveled between the dimensions in verse ships, which had brought hope and probably coral to the various earths connected by the arches. For coral's sake, I hoped they knew more than I did and had a plan. They were beyond my help now, so all that remained was for me to help myself. What should I do now? First order of business seemed to be to get away from the arch authority. I needed to get back to the horizon and hope's crew. Harlan had said to meet at six in the lobby for show prep. By now it had to be about lunchtime, didn't it? I got up from the bench and wandered my way towards an exit. Having specs meant always knowing where you were and what time it was. Without them, I had to manage the old-fashioned way in a world where virtually no one did that. It took finding an electronics store to find an actual clock anywhere. Inside the rad shack, I didn't believe the first clock I found, because if it read true, it was already after 6 p.m., since there's no way my travels had taken more than a couple of hours, it simply couldn't be right. I checked clock after clock. Every clock in the store read the same thing within a second of each other. Somehow, they told me it was 7.03 p.m. I asked the salesperson if there could be anything wrong with them. Maybe they'd all been set to Greenwich Mean Time for some reason? She looked at me with bunched-up eyebrows. It's really that late. Maybe you had too many at lunch? She mimed drinking from a bottle and smiled. I hurried out of the store and out of the complex onto Michigan Avenue. Sure enough, the rays of the sun cut long orange swaths across the city streets, peeking through buildings to the west. How could I meet up with a man now? Thank you for listening to the Alien Beer Podcast. If you like my stories, please visit my website, sillyhatbooks.com. I publish as E. Chris Garrison, and my books may be found in paperback, ebook, and audiobook format on Amazon.com and other places. The theme music for Alien Beer Podcast is Phantom from Space by Kevin McLeod. I very much enjoy feedback on this podcast and on my stories, so please leave comments on my website, visit me at at EC Garrison on Twitter, ECrisGarrison on Facebook, or drop me an email at ecg at sillyhatbooks.com.
Hi everyone, I'm Jay, host of the Unafraid podcast. On Unafraid, I share stories from the queer community that help us to grow, learn, and understand that while we are all different, there is an immeasurable beauty in that diversity. The Unafraid podcast is my labor of love, and I want to share that love with you. New stories are aired each week, so you can check out Unafraid on your podcast distributor right now. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.